Well, good morning, faith family. It's great to see you. If you have a Bible, would you please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is going to be where we're going to be this morning. Hey, first of all, it is great to be back. Uh, the last few weeks have just been enjoying some time away and uh, catching up with some time with my kids and family and just making some memories. But I want you to know you have been missed uh, tremendously. In fact, I'm convinced that I missed you more than you missed me uh, because Pastor Roger and Pastor Brent did such a fantastic job, didn't they? Right? Did a fantastic job. So grateful. Very grateful for them. But it's good to be back with you. We're going to finish up this morning a series we've been doing called Rediscover. And the thing I want us to rediscover this morning is the issue of gratitude. This is a holiday weekend. It's July 4th weekend. And one of the things that people are going to be doing is talking about how we're thankful for our freedom and thankful for our nation and thankful for the men and women who serve our nation. And all those things are things that we should be thankful for. But I want us as the people of God, as Christians, to look at God's word on this issue of gratitude, something that's often very easy to dismiss, and I want us to rediscover the significance of the issue of gratitude and thankfulness. So let's look here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to just look at one verse this morning. So really, how long could the sermon be? <laughs> it's just one verse, right? Five, ten minutes, we're out of here, right? I'll let you believe that. If you can stand for the reading of God's Word, let's actually start in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians 5, and then uh, we'll read down and look at verse 18. Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Faith family, I am absolutely convinced these words come to us with the very authority of God Himself. And Paul says this, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father, what a joy it is uh, this morning to gather for worship, uh, to come now to the point where we hear from your word. Holy Spirit, come and teach us. You are the teacher that guides us into truth. So help us rediscover this very important topic of gratitude, something that we may assume, but yet we can never assume. And may we as your people, may we as the people of God be known for our gratitude, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Bruce and Jan Benson were Bible translators uh, living in Peru. And on one particular day, they're, they're driving out to a nearby village and they discover a truck that's parked in the middle of the road. 
Now, they assume that this is probably somebody who's been stranded, somebody who needs help, and so they slow down to see if there's anything that they can do. And then they realized it was a trap. In a matter of moments, men with guns had surrounded their vehicle. A terrorist group had surrounded them, and they took Bruce and Jan, and they put him in the back of the truck. And they took them to an unknown location. As they're traveling there, Bruce and Jan had been around those parts enough that they knew that this was not going to end well. In fact, they were actually convinced they would die that day. Jan was terrified. She was trembling. She was scared for her life. And in that moment, in the back of that truck, a verse from Psalm 22 came to her mind. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Convinced that God had given her that verse, her initial response was, but God, I don't know how to thank you right now. I don't know how to praise you in this moment. But she did what was the first thing that came to her mind. She just started singing. Any part of a hymn that she could think of, she would sing. Anything that she could be thankful for, she would start out loud counting her blessings that God had brought into her life. And right there in the back of that truck, surrounded by men with guns, she gave thanks to God. Now later that night, much to their surprise, Without any reason whatsoever, that terrorist group let Bruce and Jan go. They just let them go. But they kept all their stuff. They stole everything they had. Some of their personal items, a video projector, and a package of films, one of which was the Jesus film that had been translated into their language. I'm in the future too, all right? Uh, A year later, Bruce and Jan get a phone call. The individual on the other end of that line insists that they have to meet face to face. He really needs to talk to them and it's got to be in person and so Bruce and Jan agree. The man was one of the men that had held them captive a year earlier. And then he dropped the bombshell. He told Bruce and Jan that he had become a Christian. That he and some of the men in that terrorist group had started watching that Jesus film that had been translated into their language and as a result had put their faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't our God amazing? Isn't it absolutely amazing how our God works? But when I heard about that story, what amazed me was not just that they just so happened to be released without any explanation. It wasn't just amazing that of all the things they stole, one was a Jesus film translated in their language. It wasn't even all that amazing that God would use that to bring about their salvation because our sovereign God just works that way. What amazed me was Jan's ability to give thanks in the face of terror. To stare in the face of those men and not let them still still her gratitude in God. 
Faith family, how many of us have ever been in a situation like Jan where we've thought, I just don't feel like giving thanks right now. I don't feel like being grateful. Or we've said, when I look at the circumstances that I'm in, when I look at the data that's presented before me, I'm not sure there's anything here to be thankful for. If you've ever felt that way, that's exactly the situation that Christians in Thessalonica are in. They are just like Jan, that is, when they look at the circumstances that they're in, it would be easy to conclude, I don't know how to give you thanks right now. Let me paint the backdrop for you before we look at this one verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18. Here's what we know about the Christians living in Thessalonica in terms of what they're experiencing, and I wonder if any of you can relate. First of all, these Christians in Thessalonica are experiencing personal persecution. Personal persecution. Look back at chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now look at chapter 2, verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. Right here, faith family. Christians in Thessalonica knew what it was like to face persecution. They knew what it was like to, as Christians be marginalized, to take verbal or physical slander for bearing the name of Christ. These Christians in Thessalonica also understood what it was like to lose someone they love. Look at chapter 14 and verse 13. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have passed, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. In other words, what had happened to these Christians? They had lost people they loved. Right here, anybody here this morning lost someone in your life that you dearly loved? A child? A spouse? A grandparent? And you know that grieving process? You know what it's like to feel the loss of someone? The Christians in Thessalonica can relate. And they also understand what it's like to live in a world that has fallen, where all kinds of crisis is taking place. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Key phrase, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. I don't have time to unpack all this, but Paul is referring to terminology that's used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe the kind of uh, situation our entire world is in. We live in a fallen world where all kinds of disaster and destruction and chaos takes place. I'm on the treadmill at 5 a.m. in the morning on vacation. I turn on the TV and just three hours before the massacre in Orlando had happened. Just a few days ago, we see on the news and we have those images of the bombings at the airport in Istanbul. 
Are, are you like me in the sense that it just feels like now every time you turn on the news, there's another attack, another destruction, another flood, these wars and rumors of wars, these tribulations upon tribulations. The point is, these Christians knew what it was like to be persecuted. They knew what it was like to lose people they love, and they knew what it was like to live in a world gone mad. And yet Paul has the audacity. Paul has the almost insensitivity. Paul has the nerve to then end this letter in commanding these Christians how to live in those contexts like this. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Faith family, have you ever read a verse and thought, it can't mean that? It just can't mean that. You mean to tell me that Paul is telling these Christians to give thanks in the circumstances that we just described? He absolutely is. Now, I've heard preachers do this a thousand times, and I will not be one of them where they step in and they try to soften this for you. Well, it doesn't really mean all circumstances. It, it just means some. But the problem is it says all. I mean, I'm no theologian, but it doesn't say some. And this is not the first time that Paul has said something that seems so crazy. In fact, he writes things like this to almost every church he writes a letter to. Uh, for instance, the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 18, says, Do not be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. Sounds like Jan, doesn't it? Now, this is the audience participation part of the sermon. Giving thanks what? Always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always for everything. Ugh. That sounds a lot like 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I'll give you one more to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 4 beginning at verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Always, and again I will say rejoice, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Here we go. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Make absolutely no mistake about it. The Bible calls the people of God to constant, 24-7, around-the-clock gratitude. You say, that's crazy. No, that's Christian. It's not crazy, it's Christian. Constant gratitude is the mark of a Christian. It's how we live in the world. And right here, it is, I would argue, one of the things that separates us from the world. Because as I unpack now this one single verse, 
it is what will set you apart from how everybody else gives thanks. Verse 18. Give thanks. Stop right there. So here's the first point is that the object, if we're going to have constant gratitude, 24-7 gratitude, around the clock gratitude, that we give thanks to God in all things, it starts with the object of our gratitude being God. You say, where'd you get that? Well, what's the object? Give thanks to whom? Well, it doesn't say, but if we go back to the verse right before it, we get a clue. Pray without ceasing. Pray to who? God. The object of our prayer is God. Let me prove this elsewhere in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. You're going to notice the theme here. We give thanks to God. There's the object. Always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God, there's the object, constantly for this, that when you receive the word, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, namely the word of God. So there's no doubt that the object of the gratitude that Paul has in mind here, and this is what begins to separate others, is the object is God. It's giving thanks, focusing on God, not other things. It's other things from God, but it's not other things in and of themselves, you see? Now, why would this be so important if we're going to have constant gratitude? Two reasons. And, and, and I hope this is super simple and clear to us this morning. It's because God is the only constant thing in life. How do you expect to have constant gratitude if the object of your gratitude is anything but God? Because everything else in life, I don't know about your life, but in my life, changes. Family can be up and down. Finances can be up and down. Relationships can be up and down. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the constant, so constant gratitude starts with Him. Amen? If the object of your gratitude is anything but God, you'll never be able to give thanks this way. Give thanks to God. Here's the second reason why God must be the object of our gratitude is because God is not only the one who's the constant in life, he's the one who controls life. I take this from the fact that Paul is absolutely convinced that nothing comes into his life apart from the hand of his sovereign God, even suffering. We're starting to get to why he can say give thanks in all circumstances. Look back at chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Here it is. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. In other words, here's what Paul is saying, okay? Here's the point. Sufferings don't move me. They don't shake me. They don't, they don't get me off track. Do you know why? Because suffering doesn't come into my life apart from my sovereign God. 
We told you there'd be days like this. We told you there'd be moments like this. We're not moved by this. We're not shocked by this because God is in control. Aaron Schust, who's a uh, Christian artist, uh, has a song called Long Live the King. And here's some lyrics that come out of that song that really illustrate this. He says, there are days when I don't feel like singing. Can you relate? There are always days when I don't care at all. But I know the king of all creation reigns completely over every moment, great and small. Right here. You will never do 1 Thessalonians 5.18 until the focus of your life, the object of your gratitude is God. When your life gets out of orbit, you will lose your gratitude. And that's what happened in Romans 1. When they did not give thanks to God, disaster followed. The object of our gratitude is God, which then begins to help us with this next part of the phrase in verse 18, which is the most difficult to really understand. Give thanks, that is to God, in all circumstances. That is, the extent of our gratitude is to be in everything. Now, again, this is something I've heard a lot of people say. They'll say, well, you can be thankful in uh, everything, but you don't have to be thankful for everything. Or you can be thankful in suffering, but you don't necessarily have to be thankful for suffering. Well, I understand that, and I do think there's some truth to that, but I actually think Paul wants to take us further. And the reason why I think Paul wants to take us further is something that he said. So are you listening? I don't think Paul is just saying that it's in, but it's also even for. Because of something he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. I think Paul is grateful not just in, but even for. I'll give you one more example of that just quickly. Do you remember in Acts chapter 5 when the apostles are preaching the gospel and the local authorities say, you're going to have to stop this, and if you don't stop this, we're going to do some bad things to you. And they said, whatever. I mean, we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. We can't stop talking about Jesus. And so they beat them 39 times. 40 would have been a little too excessive, so they stopped at 39. And what was the response of the apostles after they were beaten? I want to read this and ask you, does this sound like it's just in, but also even for? Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 40. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. In other words, they are giving thanks and praise to God, not just in the suffering, but even for the suffering. How in the world... Can we do that? I think there's one verse that is the bridge to making all this come together. And it's a verse 
that almost everybody in the room has probably heard before. How many of you know Romans 8.28? And what does Romans 8.28 say? Let me read it for us. Romans 8.28 says, For those who love God, what? All things work together for the good who are called according to His purpose. So here's the bridge. This is the light bulb moment. Are you listening? Do you believe that, by the way? Do you believe that God is working all things to good for those who are called according to his purpose? Then if you believe that God is working all things to good, then how can you not be thankful in all things? Do you see? In other words, don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that you're thankful for all things because all things are good. I'm saying that you're thankful in and for all things because in and for all things God is working for your good. And that way, we don't have to soften this verse, but we can actually say, when God is the object of my gratitude, then the extent of my gratitude can be everything because I know that my God is in everything working to good. B.B. Warfield, who was... um, a theologian at Princeton Seminary back in the early 1900s, was on his honeymoon, and his wife gets struck by lightning. On your honeymoon. And for the next 39 years, she is paralyzed. And he waits on her every day and serves her every day to the point that he can't even leave his home for more than two hours. And after she passed, here's what Warfield said, which I think summarizes this all. He says, quote, God will so govern all things that we shall reap only good from all that befalls us. This is big boy Christianity. Because if the object of your gratitude is God, who you say you believe is in control and is working all things to good, then you can give thanks to God in all circumstances. Why? Because you know this. There's nothing coming into your life apart from your loving Heavenly Father. There is nothing coming into your life apart from the love of God who is working for your good. That's why Paul can say, give thanks to God in all circumstances. Now, what I've been saying throughout this message is this is what sets Christian gratitude apart from all other kinds. And here's why. I want to give you some examples of how we tend to express gratitude um, that it's not bad, it's not wrong, but you don't have to be a Christian to do that. Listen to them. They go like this. The first one is the at least I still have approach. How many of you have ever said something like this? Well, I lost my job, but at least I still have my family. In other words, I'm grateful for the good, but not the bad, because at least I still have this. Or, or number two, it's the it could have been worse approach. You ever said this? So... I lost a leg in the accident, but thank God I didn't lose both. 
right? I mean, it could have been worse. In other words, I'm thankful that the bad wasn't as bad as it could be. A third one. It's the I have more than others approach. Now, this was particular uh, for me at the dinner table as a kid growing up, right? Did your parents ever say, eat all your food because there are children starving in India, right? Now, what's in a very weird, underhanded way being implied by that? Be grateful for what you have because you have a lot more than others, right? Now, I'm not saying that any of those approaches are wrong, but here's what I am saying. Every eye here, every ear here, you can be an atheist and think that way. You don't need God to give that kind of gratitude. What makes 1 Thessalonians 5.18 uniquely Christian is the ability to give thanks in all things because we know in all things God can be trusted. It is uniquely Christian gratitude. That's why it's constant gratitude. The world thinks they know gratitude, but they do not know true gratitude because they do not know God. This is uniquely Christian. Give thanks to who? To God in all circumstances. If God's not the object of your gratitude, you cannot do that next phrase. Now here's the phrase after that. For this is the will of God. God. In other words, this has everything to do with your obedience to God. One of the questions I think I get asked more than anything is, what's the will of God for my life? Right? You ever asked that? I'm so glad you came to church this morning. All right? I'm going to answer the question. I'm going to tell you what God's will for your life is. Are you ready? You might want to write this down. Okay? God's will for your life is this. Live in every situation of your life with gratitude to God. That's God's will for your life. No, 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 but I wanted to know, like, what college am I supposed to go to? No, 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 I want to know, like, who am I supposed to marry? I want to know, like, what job am I supposed to have? Those tend to be the things that we ask, what is the will of God for my life about? But there's actually some things that's more important for you to know than those. In other words, the will of God has more to do with the condition of your heart than the direction of your feet. We want to know where am I supposed to go and what am I supposed to do, and God's saying, I want your heart right. I want your heart to be a heart of gratitude. My will for you, your act of obedience, your life of faithfulness is about the condition of your heart in giving thanks to me wherever you go to college, whoever you marry, or whatever your job may be. You want to know my will? That's my will for you. This is core Christianity. Rediscover gratitude. It's not like, yeah, it's just kind of one of those good characteristics that nice people have. It's Christianity. The lack of gratitude is at least either the absence of Christ or the absence of experiencing Christ. Where Christ is gratitude always follows. Now, just to give you a sense of how serious this is, I don't have a lot of time for it, okay? Um, but it just struck me. This terminology that 
give thanks in all things for this is the will of God in your life. I, I read that and I think, I've heard that before. I don't know, like just a few verses earlier in chapter 4. J- just listen to this. Put your, put your thinking cap on and connect the dots here. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God that you give thanks in all circumstances. Right here. When is the last time you saw ingratitude as a serious sin as that of sexual immorality? When is the last time you saw gratitude at the same level of adultery? I would argue that ingratitude is actually a worse sin than sexual immorality. Now, I really got your attention. Why? Because it's your lack of gratitude that sends you down the road of sexual immorality. The adultery happened because there wasn't gratitude in the marriage. The will of God for your life child of God is constant gratitude and I will not soften that for you. Christians in Thessalonica in the midst of all their context are to have God as the object of their gratitude so that they can give gratitude in all things. It's the will of God for their life and we're left probably like them and like Jan saying but I can't do this. How many of you are with me right now? You're like, ain't no way. There ain't no way. There is a way. And praise God, Paul isn't done writing the verse. Because look at the next phrase. We close with this. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let me be as simple and clear as I can be. You can't do this without Jesus. You cannot live a life of constant gratitude without Jesus Christ. You must be in Him. You must have a relationship with Him because Jesus is the one who produces constant gratitude in us. I'll give you two quick reasons. Number one is, it's because when we understand the good news of Jesus, we can't help but be grateful. Why? What's the good news of Jesus? Come on, faith family. We talk about the gospel all the time around here, don't we? The great news, the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. What is it? That God has brought redeeming grace to undeserving sinners in Jesus. Amen? God has brought redeeming grace, saving grace to undeserving sinners through Jesus Christ. Did you catch that undeserving part? In other words, when you look at Jesus and when you see what Jesus did on the cross, you realize how undeserving you are of anything. In other words, you can't be in Christ without understanding how undeserving you are. Or, to put it this way, people who live daily in the gospel, walk daily in gratitude because they're constantly aware of how undeserving they are and how gracious God is. Do you see? 
when you stay focused on the gospel, gratitude is a natural result because you realize grace and your sin. And here's the last one. It's because the reason why you must be in Christ to do this, the reason why you must have a relationship with Christ in order for constant gratitude to happen in your life is this. Who is the only person who ever lived a life of constant gratitude? Who's the only person who ever 24-7 was always grateful to the Father? Jesus, right? Take, for instance, uh, Matthew 15. He took the loaves and the fish and he thanked God. Matthew 11, Jesus prayed, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you. John 11, Jesus took a look to heaven and said, Father, thank you. Matthew 26, Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. In other words, the person of constant gratitude is Jesus. Therefore, we will only be people of constant gratitude in Him. Now, even if you don't remember, play along so that you'll make me feel good, okay? But do you remember the sermon when we looked at Jesus as the true vine? And we had that kind of light bulb moment where we saw this, that fruit is not produced in our life by focusing on fruit. Fruit is produced in our life when we abide in the vine. Do you remember that? Say yes. Meaning this, we don't get constant gratitude by pursuing gratitude. We get constant gratitude by abiding in the one who is always thankful. And as we abide in Jesus, as we pursue Jesus, as we love Jesus, as we worship Jesus, as we learn more about Jesus, the man of constant gratitude lives his life through us, and we look radically different from the world. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Jerry Hilton was a pastor in North Carolina. I'll close with this. And he, um, he talked about a time when he was on a mission trip to uh, uh, working in a, a leper colony. And they were doing crusades, and in the evening they'd get together and they'd preach the Word of God and they'd sing songs and they'd just have a time of worship. And on one particular night, they were asking for song requests. What would you like to sing? What would you like to sing? And people would just throw out a request and they'd sing it. And they're just having a great time praising and worshiping God. And there was one lady there who leprosy had just completely disfigured her body. She lost a lot of her nose, lost an ear. Most of her fingers were uh, just all messed up, disassembled. And, and it came to the point in the service when uh, Jerry asked, uh, we got time for one last song. Does anybody have one last request? And this lady raises her hand. And Jerry said, sure, sure, what, what would you like to sing? And she said, how about we sing Count Your Many Blessings? And for the next few moments, they sang lyrics like this. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, 
count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, faith family, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Jerry was so overwhelmed with emotion that he had to walk off the stage. One of the missionaries followed him to the back room and he said, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again. And Jerry said, oh, I'll be able to sing that song again, but I'll never be able to sing it the same way again. Faith family, God has called us to constant gratitude because constant gratitude is Christian gratitude. And there will be times in our life like Bruce and Jan, like the woman at the leper colony, like Christians in Thessalonica, when it will not appear as though there's anything to give thanks to God for. But we do not give thanks in all things because every circumstance in our life is good. We give thanks in all things because no matter the circumstance of our life, God is good. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the challenge of your word this morning. This is core Christianity. It is what sets us apart. It's what marks us out as grace-filled people who understand the gospel, who understand what you have done for us, who, whose lives are focused and centered on you. Father, I pray this morning that you would reveal to us our hearts as to whether or not we are truly grateful people who are truly living grateful lives. And the issue may very well be that the orbit of our life is out of order. Help us this morning center on you. May our life be found in you. And may there we be found grateful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.